so many times I sit in my office this morning and thinking about different people that uh, dear to my heart and people that have needs in their life and and I thought about the many times that I've made the statement and I've heard others say the same thing. You can't help a person until they admit their need of help. Whether it's an alcoholic or a drug addict or whoever it is, until they get to the point they realize they've got a problem, that you know, you can't do anything about it. They've got to hit rock bottom and get down there uh, to where they realize I need help. But that's not the only problem. A bigger problem than that is that you can't help a person until you are willing to help. You know, and I suspect that those uh, admitting their need of help, although not as many as there should be, those admitting their need of help far outnumber those that are actually willing to help. It's easy for us to say to somebody, you need to get help. It's another thing for us to say, I'm here to help you. You know, we talk a lot about those in need and how they need to change and how they need to see their need, and uh, but we seldom provide what they need. It's real easy to criticize a man because he's not working. It's another thing to, to give him a job. It's easy to condemn the, the druggie because of his problem and tell him, you need to get help. It's another thing to show him unconditional love, that I'm going to love you whether you get help or not. I'm going to love you whether you change or not. And so the point this morning is this, that we, we evidently need help in seeing our need of being helpers. We need help in seeing our need of helping others. Because too many times we excuse ourselves from duty by shifting the blame to other people. You know, that's not to say the other person isn't to blame. They might be, because we're all responsible for our own actions. But if we're unwilling to help the person who needs help, we're just as guilty as they are. You know, we might see their need, and they, they haven't seen their need yet, but we do. We see their need, but we're not willing to put out any effort at all to be of help to them. What makes us any, any better than what they are? So we need to see our need that we're needed. And uh, we can apply that, you know, to the world in general, everybody we come in contact with. But I want us to narrow our focus down this morning. And uh, like Emily says, whenever she's really serious about something, look at my eyes. And, <laughs> and I want your attention because this morning we need to understand our great responsibility. And the subject this morning is saints serving saints. As strange as it's going to sound for your text, turn to the first page of your bulletin. No, I mean, you could, but it's actually found in Galatians chapter number 5. 
This is what's on the front page of the bulletin, and I, I promise, I promise you, I, I was sitting there in my office, and I, and I, I told Bev yesterday I had something in mind that I was going to preach, and for some reason the Lord just laid something, laid this on my heart, and so as I was sitting there at my desk this morning, and I, I picked up the bulletin, and I'd already actually seen it, but didn't really remember, and I read that, and I thought, well. That's the same text that I'm going to be using this morning. So you can believe that or not. It's the truth. Uh, but the Lord knew, and I don't know, Bev might have known. She might be a prophetess. I don't know. But, uh, uh, boy, I'll, uh, I'll probably hear somebody, will, you know, get this CD or listen to it somewhere and say, boy, you know, Brother Stone's become a, a, a heretic now. He's... Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Isn't that great? Liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Now remember who he's writing to. He tells you in the first chapter that he's writing to the churches in Galatia. So he's not writing to the whole world. He's not even writing to Christians in general. He's writing to churches. And he's telling the church members, you need to love one another. But then notice he says, here's the reason why. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So here in verse 13, it's very clear Paul is speaking about the saints serving the saints. We hear a lot of talk about serving God, but I often wonder if folks really understand what they're talking about. Let me explain. A lot of people will pray. they read their Bible every day. They attend church. They even give their money. And, you know, all of those things are well and good, and in their mind, they're serving God. And, and by the way, that is a part of serving God. But you can do all of those things and still not be really, truly, honestly serving God, because there's more to it than that. Serving God demands that we minister to one another. If you look just across the page down there in chapter 6 and verse number 10, Paul says, If we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, but notice, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So here again we see the same thing, that if we're going to serve God, we've got to be willing to serve one another. And when I say one another, I'm talking about the fact that if you are a member of Lakeway Baptist Church and you're not serving other members of Lakeway Baptist Church, you're not serving God. Even if you're in attendance every service and read your Bible every day, because a large part of serving God is that we make ourselves available in serving others. So let's talk about the saints serving saints. We serve God by serving others. That's the main point. 
I think about the man who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, and think about what he had gone through, what he was going through, the difficulties that he had faced and the sacrifices that he had made. It's just amazing to me. When I think about his concern for churches, it's amazing. Here is a man who loved the Lord's church. Now, I know a lot of religious people in the world today, people that call themselves Christians, but and they often say, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't have any use for the church. Big problem there, folks. The Bible speaks about the church as being the bride of Christ. You know, for you to stand up and say, Brother Stone, I really like you, but I, I, I don't care anything about your wife. I can't stand her. Boy, you just insulted me. Because if you don't, if you don't love her, you don't love me. You think about how Christ must feel whenever people denigrate His church, the bride of Christ. But Paul was a man that devoted his life to ministering to God's people. And over and over again, he stresses that fact. And here he's speaking to these churches. And notice that he speaks of Christian liberty. But here's the point. This this freedom, this liberty that we have is not a release from servanthood. In other words, now you, you know, you, you've got liberty, so now you're free to do as you please. The Bible doesn't give us that kind of liberty ever. We're not free to do as we please. We are now free to do as the Lord pleases. And we cannot ignore our responsibility to others and then claim that we are faithfully serving God. Because the only way I can serve God is by serving others and Someone wrote a song about, you know, Brandon, I think, sings that song about we are his hands and we are his feet and so forth. And and the church is to be a visible manifestation of Christ to the world. And and the, the Lord spoke of this very thing over and over again when he talked about us denying ourselves. And you'll remember that the Lord said in Matthew chapter number 25, you know, he said, I was in prison and you didn't visit me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was hungry. You didn't give me anything to eat. And, of course, they said, well, whoa, wherein, you know, where, wherein did, did we see you that you was hungry and thirsty and so on and so forth? And he said, in that you did it the least to one of these, you've done done to me. You see, how we treat one another is something that Christ takes personal. So we serve God by serving other people. Let me give you an easy way to test yourself next Sunday morning. Whenever you get here and you sit down, and I want you to just look around the auditorium next Sunday morning and, and, and ask yourself, have I made a significant difference in the lives of the people here or anyone here? I mean, I dare you to take that test and answer it honestly when you look around. Have I actually ministered to anyone here? Because if you're going to serve God, you've got to minister to God's people. But not only do we serve God by serving others, we strengthen the church by serving others. 
And I don't know of anybody that would deny but what the church needs strengthening. I mean, regardless of how good a church is, it can always be better. Regardless of how strong it is, it can always be stronger. And the church is effective only to the degree that each member does their part. It's impossible to have a strong church made up of weak members. It just doesn't work that way. So each and every member needs to be strengthened by the other members. Many people could quote or at least have some knowledge of Hebrews 10:25 where it tells us that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We all, you know, we're all familiar with that. But have you ever thought about verse number 24 which tells us why we assemble together? To provoke one another unto love and good works, it says. And it uses that word provoke in a good way. We generally think of it, you know, as a bad word. We provoke somebody. But what he's saying is that whenever we mingle, as it were, and relate one to another, we are to provoke. That is to excite. We are to motivate, to generate. We are to do something that will motivate others unto love and good works. Maybe you're here this morning and you think, I don't think anybody in this church loves me. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, look, if you, don't, if you don't love other people, the Bible says if we're going to have friends, we have to show ourselves friendly. Some folks come in and just sit down and cross their hands and just sit there like, you know, with an old grumpy face like, bless me if you can. And it's no, it's no wonder. It's no wonder that people don't act friendly toward you. Don't blame the church. The ball's in your court. I mean, it's your responsibility. So if the church is going to be strong, we've got to work at strengthening one another. And, and, and by the way, we're all weaker than we need to be, every one of us. There's not one person here who doesn't need encouragement and help of some kind or another. It's strange. We, we hear, you know, we parents, we teach the little kids, well, if you can't say something nice about somebody, don't say anything at all. Why don't some of you adults start putting that into practice? If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. We're to be encouraging one another, not tearing down one another and criticizing one another. Somebody says, well, I just, I, well, I'm, I'm not an officer in the church. I, nobody's asked me to teach a Sunday school class in the church. I, you know, I guess I'm not important. Well, you're just as important as you want to be. If you want God to use you, all you've got to do is start serving other people. Be a blessing to them. And regardless of who you are, regardless of what your IQ is, regardless of whether you graduated from college or not, or anything else about you, regardless of who you are, if you're a Christian, there are things that you can do to minister to other people. But to be helpful, you have to be aware of the fact that others need you and there's something that you can do. Every member needs to think about themselves as a minister. I I didn't say a pastor. I didn't say a deacon. I didn't say a missionary. But all of us ought to think of ourselves as ministers. 
Well, you say, nobody ever gave me an office. Okay, let's just have an ordination service right here, right now. I hereby authorize you and ordain you as a member of this church to be a minister for the Lord Jesus Christ, to serve others and give God all the glory for everything you do. Now there, you've been ordained. How about that? You, you don't have to have a college degree to be a minister. You don't have to hold an office to be a minister. You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher to be a minister. We're all to be ministers because we've all got a mission and it's critical that we fulfill our purpose in the church because the church is strengthened only as we strengthen one another. Not only is the church strengthened, not only in serving others do we serve God, but number three, we show sincerity by serving others. Look at verse number 14 for an example here. And according to verse number 14, our obligation is summed up by the word what? Love. That, that's a responsibility, right? In other words, that's the thing that motivates us to reach out to others. And, and I know we don't like to admit it, but most of our problems, most of our failures can be traced back to that very, very one thing, and that is a lack of love on our part. That's why you've heard people say, you know, faults are thick when love is thin. And that's true. Whenever you find somebody that really loves the church and they love others enough that they're doing what they can to minister to them, you don't hear them going around criticizing other people. The critics are those that are ignoring their responsibilities and lacking love for one another because a lack of love causes us to become suspicious and critical and bitter. And you find someone... It's always bitter and critical of other people, and I'll guarantee you the root of the problem is a lack of love on their part. On the other hand, love produces, if you just look up all of the verses, it produces things like patience and loyalty and faithfulness and obedience and sacrifice. And so when those things are missing, love is lacking because love is looking for ways to help other people. It's not sitting back waiting to be asked. You know, nobody asked me to do this or that. Well, just do it. Because the need is apparent and we need to respond to what is obvious to everybody. And if we truly love people, that's exactly what we're going to do. Because we're going to be searching out the needs of others. And and because we love them, then when we see that need, we're going to go to work trying to meet that need in their life. Now, and I don't want to make this, I don't want to overly simplify this. I don't want you to misunderstand this at all. Because as simple as it is, this is not something that's easy. When we talk about loving each other, that's much more difficult than what we might imagine because serving others demands unselfishness on our part. And the problem is all of us have a natural tendency to be selfish, right? I preached a sermon some years ago called the Me Generation. Well, in reality, every generation has been the me generation because that's, that's where the focus is for the natural person. We have a propensity to love ourselves and to care for ourselves above, above all else. 
And the Lord comes along and lays down the stipulations for discipleship, and He says, unless a man's willing to forsake all that he has, he can't be my disciple. So we show sincerity when we are willing to deny ourselves and reach out and meet the needs of other people. Now, I warn you, that is a usually a thankless task because there are going to be those that will come to expect it from you. You know, most of the time, you know, whenever somebody, if, 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 let's say you find yourself in need of help, and who do you generally think of first? You, you, you generally think of somebody that, you know, that is obviously someone that is kind and loving and generous and somebody that's you see them reaching out to people, and so that's the kind of person that you go to. And it's real easy for, for that person that is so loving and kind to find themselves being taken advantage of by people. Because it's going to happen. And there are going to be people that will refuse to show appreciation for what you do. I've heard church members say, well, nobody appreciates what I do. Well, nobody appreciates what you do nearly as much as they should. That's true. It's true of all of us. We don't appreciate each other as much as we should. Mother, listen, mothers know all about this, don't they? Better than anyone else on the face of the earth, mothers know how it is to have people take advantage of you and people use you and people not appreciate what you do because that just kind of goes with the, with the job description for mothers. It shouldn't, but it does. And yet they don't throw in the towel. Why? What is it that motivates a mother to keep going? What motivates her to get up in the middle of the night and to take care of a sick child? What motivates her to get up in the morning, you know, and to take care of her family? What motivates her to keep going? Well, just one word, and that's the word love. That's why she does it. And that's the one thing that will enable you and I to serve God by serving other people. It's going to cost something. You can't serve other people without depriving yourself. Sometimes you can't serve other people without changing your schedule. Sometimes you can't serve other people unless you extend yourself to meet the needs of other people. In other words, it'll push you to the limit. But that's all evidence of love. It's evidence of of sincerity on our part. And that's so very important to our Christian testimony. Listen to what Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 13, verse 35. By this, by this all men shall know that ye are my disciples. Now let's stop there just a minute. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could really truly convince our neighbors our co-workers, our classmates, if some way or another we could really get through to them and convince them, whether they agree with us or not on our doctrine, but we could convince them that person, that person really loves God. That person is really totally sold out, dedicated to God, no question about it. Can you imagine the difference it would make in our ability to minister to those people if we could convince them of that fact? 
And so Jesus said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. And then notice what he said, If ye have love one to another. He didn't say if you have love for the whole wide world. In that case, he didn't even say if you love your neighbors, even though that's important. He said if you love one another. Now he's speaking to the men that constituted the first church. This is not a public discourse by the Lord. This, this is a message to the first church. And he said, if you're going to convince the world that you are truly my disciples, the only way to do it is if you have love one for another. And the biggest problem that the, the church faces today is the fact that we have a credibility problem. And the fact that the world looks at us and they say, well, you know, they're not any different than we are. They're no better than we are. And unless they see us loving one another, it's not just what you do for the man down the street, it's what you do for one another within the church. I've known churches that for generations... The mention of that church in a particular area brought up one subject, and that was some horrible, terrible failure on the part of that church or the pastor. I could go to Cincinnati, Ohio, tomorrow. I could go there and I could walk down the streets and knock on the doors and find anyone near my age and mention a certain church and say, what do you think about that church? And I know exactly what the answer would be. You see, they will absolutely never live down the horrible, horrible thing that happened as a result of their failure. And I'm telling you, whether you realize it or not, the people in our community has their eye on us. They're watching us. They're watching you. And the manner in which you speak to, about the church, the manner in which you relate to other members in the church, people are watching you. And the sad thing is, they're going to judge Jesus Christ by what they see in you and me and us as a church. And that's why it's so important that we remove all doubt as to whether we love each other or not by serving one another. But then there's something else, and that is the fact that I want you to really listen careful to this. If you don't, you'll misunderstand it. We satisfy our needs by serving one another. Now, that might seem to be something that would promote selfishness. Because, you know, we talk all the time about, you know, it's not about us. And it's not. But we need to think of this in the fact not as, not as our main motive in serving other people, but we need to consider it as the result rather than the reason. Let me repeat that. When I talk about you serving others and being satisfied as a result of that, I'm talking about that as a result of what you do, not the reason why you do it. I mean, I've heard people say, I had a good friend I remember years ago said, I didn't even pay some of my bills so I could give the church more money. And now I'm more in debt than I ever was. This tithing stuff doesn't work. 
Well, it doesn't work if you're just giving your money in order that the Lord will give you more money. No, it doesn't work. Your motive's wrong. But if our motive is pure and we're serving one another, and notice that key there, we're not just serving one another so far as mechanically going through the motion of meeting their need, but we're serving one another by love. When we do that, when we do that, the result is always good. First Thessalonians chapter 2, I talked a while ago about Paul's great love for the church. I want you to listen to what he says to the church at Thessalonica. He says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Now, boy, those are strong terms that he uses there. But notice what he says next. Are not even ye in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? Now, get this. For ye, he's talking to the church. For ye are our glory and joy. In other words, if somebody asked Paul, what is the reward that you get out of sacrificing your life for the sake of these churches? What's the reward? What's in it for you? He said, that is my reward. That's my joy. That's my glory. That's my crown of rejoicing. That's the thing that thrills my heart. That's the thing that makes me happy. In knowing that I have served those that Jesus Christ died for. But our problem is that most of the time we want to be served rather than to serve others. And and that's why a lot of people are so very miserable. We're never going to find happiness if we're looking for it. Just In other words, I'm trying to be happy. That's not going to work. As long as you're trying to be happy, you'll never be happy. Because it comes as a result of fulfilling our purpose in life. Have you ever stopped to think maybe that's why Paul was content? He said, I've learned whatever state I'm in therewith to be content. I don't, I don't care whether I'm here or there in this city, that city. It doesn't make any difference to me. Whether I'm in poverty or whether I've got plenty, makes no difference to me, Paul said. I, I'm content. How, how can you be content in all circumstances? Well, if you have the attitude Paul did about serving God's people, then it will help you be content and find happiness regardless of what your situation is. But if we shirk our duty, if we neglect our responsibility, if we ignore the needs of those that we've been commissioned to take care of, the result of that's going to be, number one, the Holy Spirit is going to convict us. If you're a child of God, out of the will of God, the Spirit of God is going to take your sleep from you. The Spirit of God is going to make you miserable. And then if you don't respond to that, God the Father will chastise you as one of His children. The Bible says, if you be without chastisement, then you're all bastards and not sons. That is, you're illegitimate. You're not my children. That's what God was saying. You're not really one of my children if you can live as you please and there's no chastisement. You see, eternal security for the believer does not mean that we're not going to be corrected while we're here on this earth. 
In fact, just the opposite is true. The only, if you want to call it punishment, that's not what it is, but the only punishment, suffering, correction that we're going through is while we're here on earth. It'll all be over when we leave here, but while we're here, mark it down, when you ignore God's people, you're not serving God, and the Spirit of God is grieved as a result of it, and and consequently you're going to be miserable. That's why I often say the happiest people on the face of the earth are those that give themselves willingly, sacrificially, to meet the needs of other people. I mean, that's obvious. You just look around and just make a list of the happiest Christians you know of. Remember when Jesus, uh, there in the upper room, John chapter 13, and Jesus met with his disciples just before the crucifixion. And here in that special place, at that special time, as he ministered to them, the Bible says that he took a basin of water and a towel and he washed their dirty, stinking, smelly feet. And then he made this statement. He said in verse number, verse number 17, If ye know these things, and we know that, right? I mean, I just told you if you look at my eyes. If you know these things, that's what he did. And notice, if you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. There it is. Happy are ye if ye do them. Bev and I just celebrated our 55th wedding anniversary. If the Lord gives me about 18 more months, it will be 50 years of that in the ministry. And, uh, and whenever I think back on all of those years, let me tell you, uh, there's no way in all of the world that either one of us could have ever made it this long, this far, had it not been for people who cared enough to minister to us along the way. I'll never forget a pastor with the name of Fred Needy, a pastor of Southside Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri, years ago, and, and, uh, We'd started a church in a little place called Fairgrove, Missouri. And by the way, that church is still there today. Different name, but it's still there. It's still a Baptist church. And But anyway, uh, boy, I, I had the church had said, look, we've been praying. We want you to quit your job, devote all of your time uh, to the church as a pastor. You know, that's really easy for the church to say something like that when I'm the man has got to pay the bills. Man, I had more debts, and you, you can't even imagine the condition I was in. But I, 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 believed, I believed what they said was true, and so I went into my, my boss, and I told him, I said, I'm going to resign. He said, why? And I said, well, I'm just going to pastor the church full time. He said, what do they pay you? And I said, 75 a week. And uh, he said, well, you can't make it on that. And I said, well, the Lord, some way or another, the Lord will provide and I want to tell you, he did. And I can remember when we were so down and out and didn't have anything. And, and Fred Needy and the Southside Baptist Church brought us boxes of clothes and, and things for the kids and, and stuff like that. And it, it, it just overwhelmed me to think about the kindness of that church in helping us. But there was a note attached. 
And, and I think it was the first time in my life this verse really struck home with me. And it was Hebrews 6.10 where it says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward His name in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And I read that again and again. And some of you that have got cards from me in relationship to your ministry over the years, maybe you'll remember that that's been the verse I signed off on, wanting you to know God is not unrighteous. He is not going to forget your work and your labor of love. It's not going to go unrewarded. There's a little poem somebody wrote, and I jotted down in my Bible 30, 40 years ago. Says I have wept in the night for the shortness of sight that to somebody's needs made me blind, but I never have yet felt a twinge of regret for being a little too kind. There's no way we can overdo kindness when it comes to one another. Some years ago, we decided to start a ministry in the church, and some of you get cards once in a while, and you'll see from the Joy Ministry. That joy stands for Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. That ought to be the motto by which each and every one of us lives. God help us this morning, each and every one, to see our need to help those that are in need, even when they don't see it. We need to be ministering to them with unconditional love. One last word, and I'm through. If you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you could, look, you could sign your paycheck over to me personally every week, and it wouldn't get you any closer to heaven. You could come up here and sit in these, these seats here 24 hours a day if possible, and it wouldn't get you any closer to heaven. You can mow the grass, wash the windows, and do everything that needs to be done around here. All of the good deeds and everything that you could think to do, none of those things would get you into heaven. There's only one way, and that's through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But after you become a child of God, you become obligated to serve God's family. Do good unto all men, but especially those of the household of faith. You know, it's one thing, you know, we think about our human relationships and brothers and sisters, how they ought to stick together and love each other. Let me tell you, that bond ought to be even deeper whenever it comes to our spiritual relationship with each other. It's time that we stood up for one another and with one another and did everything in our power to help one another because we all need it, and God demands it. And you'll never be happy until you get to that place. Let's stand together. Father, we've tried our best this morning to say the things that you've laid on our heart. And Lord, I just pray that you'll use your word and press upon our hearts not only the greatness of our responsibility, but also the wonderful privilege we have of being able to minister to those who are the children of the King. And Lord, help us to have the wisdom 
to recognize the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ and help us to have the strength and the willingness and the love to reach out to them in their needs and do what we can to minister to them the way that the way that that the Lord has ministered to us. Bless us this morning. We don't deserve it, but we ask it in Jesus' name. And Lord, if there's a lost soul saved, we pray that here today they might put their trust in Jesus who died for them. For we pray in His name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing, Think about what you're singing now. Because I love thee. And ask yourself, am I really telling the truth? That Lord, I'll serve you because you saved me. I'll sacrifice for you because you gave everything for me. Before you found me. Have given life to me. Broken pieces, broken pieces, ruined lives. Those are some of the reasons why he came. Keep singing while we sing. If God's speaking to your heart, and it might be you just want to come and pray. Pray for those that are praying. They they have needs and desires in their heart. You have given life to me. Think about it. I was nothing. Before you found me, you have given life to me. On the course. much for your attention. Brother Glenn Boone, would you word our prayer this morning, please?